Amen. Uh, today, uh, I'd like to talk about the importance of the grace of God. It was nice to sing about that grace at Brother Hades funeral, the graveside, uh, on Wednesday. We, we sang the first and last there of um, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. And then we sang that last verse, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Boy, uh, um, I talk about that amazing grace today. I'm going to read a whole chapter. I'm not going to preach the whole chapter, but Titus chapter two. Um, he, he gives some direction uh, to the the church what what he wants them to do, and then uh, starting in verse eleven, he talks about how important God's grace will be to doing the things we're supposed to be doing. And so, I want to focus in on how important that grace of God is. For us to do what we're supposed to be doing. So if, uh, Titus 2 verses 1 through 15. But speak thou the things uh, which become sound doctrine. That the aged men. Alright so hopefully you aged men perked up there. You know who you are. That the aged men may be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith and charity and patient. And then the aged women. Um, do, do we have any of those here? Uh, no, no age. Um, those that are approaching agedness. Um, that the aged women, the older ladies, we appreciate you, we need you. The, the aged women, uh, likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers. Uh, it, must, it must be that ladies like to, um, I don't know, go around looking for someone to bark at uh, improperly sometimes. Got to be careful of that. Not false accusers, not given to much wine. Teachers of good things. Teach, uh, the, and then the younger women, older ladies, you want to teach the young men to be sober, uh, a seriousness, love their husbands, love their children. Um, by the way, uh, younger ladies, let the older ladies teach you some of those things. But I've, I, I've, I've seen the older ladies, and I've noticed that they're not perfect. And so if they were perfect, by all means, I would let myself learn from one of the older... No, 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 no. You don't get to decide when the Bible's not good for you. I would do that except for, if you have that spirit, every verse in the Bible you have that spirit for. And you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, and you're missing out on a gigantic help raising your to love their children um, anyway keep going to be discreet chaste keepers at home good obedient to their own husbands that the word of God be not blasphemed young men likewise exhort to be sober minded uh, young men let's be serious let's not be playing games the world has 10,000 games for you to play and God has 10,000 important things for you to use that strength he gave you to be busy at. Uh, use our, we use our strength to play the, the world's games. I know they're entertaining, but it's empty. The, the young men to exhort to be sober-minded. 
in all things showing thyself a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you having that right testimony. Exhort servants to be obedient to their own masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again, not purloining, uh, uh, being improper in the area of, of money, but, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior in all things. For, so yeah, we have all these wonderful things to, to do and then uh, we're going to see the importance of God's grace in executing all the wonderful things we're supposed to be doing in the Christian life. So, verse 11, the importance of God's grace. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation, and it, and it does more than just bring salvation. The, uh, the, the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope, the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify us unto himself, a peculiar people, zealous of good works, these things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. So let's talk about the importance of God's wonderful, amazing, powerful, upholding grace today. Lord, we love you and I pray that you'd uh, uh, just be with my mind. I, I, I fear that I have so many things running through it <laughs> that I might trip over some ideas. Lord, I pray you just help uh, help uh, me to organize these things that you help me to put together uh, in such a way that your church is helped. Uh, thank you for your grace. I pray that we would uh, uh, learn a lot and we'd be changed as a result of what we learned from you today. I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so here we are in Titus chapter 2, and we're going to talk about this grace. And so once again, so those verses uh, 11, 12, 13, and 14, let me read those again, and we'll start to open those up a little bit. So verses 11 through 14, for the grace of God uh, that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us. That, he had a reason that he gave himself for us. That he might redeem us from iniquity and purify, un, uh, purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Alright, so let's look at those things. Uh, my first point is the person of this grace. So the, the very beginning of this says, for the grace of God, the grace of God. So this grace comes from God. Um, God is so gracious. Grace flows from our God. Psalm 84, 11, uh, for the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory, no good thing 
will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. Oh, he makes it worth living a clean life. All right? He makes it worth living a clean life. And young people, it's going to drive you nuts when mom and dad, listen, I want you to leave this clean, live this clean life. What, you feel embarrassed by me, dad? You feel embarrassed by me, mom? Is that why you want me to live this clean life? Ah, uh, I love you. I love you. And I want you to enjoy the blessings of God. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. You live as though God is not good. And then you pursue a life of misery. Live like he is good. And he's worth honoring. And he's worth serving. And when you walk uprightly, he says, No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. He gives grace and glory. The God of grace. Boy, give him all your attention. Lord, what do you want from me today? After all, this is the day that you made. I will rejoice. And be glad in it. The grace is sovereign because of where it comes from. It's saving, as we see in the next point, uh, which brings salvation. And it's sufficient. It's appeared to all men. This grace is so special. It emanates from our Almighty God. God's grace was revealed in creation. And then again in the beautiful area of redemption. The person of this grace. Well, he's the hero, and he always is. God is the hero. God is the hero. He's the one that should have our attention. The person of this grace. Then the provision of this grace. The grace of God that bringeth salvation. Where would we be without the grace that brings salvation. Grace brings salvation. The Bible says in Ephesians 2.8, For by grace are ye saved through faith. So again, I love it. I heard this years ago. But, but grace is God offering us salvation. And faith is how we reach up and take hold of the salvation. We heard it in the testimony this morning. We love Him only, only because He first loved us. The provision of His grace. For by grace are you saved through faith. Faith is how I reach up and take hold of the salvation He offers. Through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. The provision of this grace. Oh, how beautiful the blending of mercy and grace in salvation. Uh, God does not give me the punishment that I deserve. Because of his mercy. But grace is God giving me blessings I don't deserve. Because of mercy, the saved sinner does not have to go to hell. Because of grace, the saved sinner gets to go to heaven. Because of mercy, the saved sinner can know forgiveness. But because of grace, the saved sinner can join the very family of God. What a blessing. What we deserve in, is punishment equal to our sin. Our sin amounts to rebellion against an all-wise, all-seeing, all-powerful God. And because of his omnipresence, that means he's everywhere at the same time and every time at the same time. He's there at the beginning of your life and at the end already. He's everywhere. 
Because of his omnipresence, it places him at the scene of every one of our misbehaviors. His omniscience makes him aware of every dirty thought, every dirty word, every dirty deed, and all of their ramifications. Well, you did something that, 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 that caused this ripple effect. and did All of the rep, uh, ramifications, all of the, the ripplings out from those misbehaviors. But instead of simply pouring out his wrath on us, God extends his grace toward us. No, he can't overlook our sin because that would violate his holiness. Nor does he simply offer forgiveness, but he offers complete justification and declares the person who will come to him and ask for salvation. He declares them righteous. He removes the sins from his memory in an act of mercy and grace. The plan of salvation proclaimed throughout the Bible is based on the principle of substitution. God passed the maximum sentence demanded by his holiness. Eternal banishment from his presence and consignment to the lake of fire. But then he bore the penalty upon himself. At Calvary, the Son of God died in our stead and laid down an eternal life as an atonement for our sins. Such is the saving grace of God, the person of this grace, this grace of God, the provision of this grace that bringeth salvation. And then the presence of this grace, it's here right now. It hath appeared to all men, the Bible says, And then, in the end of verse 12, it tells us how we're supposed to be living in this present life. It affects right now. It affects right now. It's not something we're waiting for. It's not something we're looking forward to. This saving grace hath appeared to all men. And then there's, there's a life of sanctification and separation that he says he wants us to be living right now in this present world. This grace should be affecting us today. The presence of this grace. It's here. <laughs> we have access to it right now. But I think the grace of God hath appeared. And then when, when did the grace of God appear? When was it manifested? No more obvious time than when Christ came and set foot on this earth. He was the manifestation of the grace of God, wasn't he? Oh, the grace appeared when Jesus walked this earth. What did John say uh, there in, in John 1, verses 14 through 17? Um, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we, be, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace. Full of grace and truth. And then... That's John speaking, but then John the Baptist, he chimes in here. John the Apostle, now John the Baptist. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This is he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness have we received, and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. The grace of God hath appeared. He came and he provided that salvation. The grace of God hath appeared to all men. 
every man, every woman, every child. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth on him, whosoever believeth on him, every man, every woman, every child, whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life, the presence of this grace. And then, of course, it came in the, in the person of the Holy Spirit even, uh, in Acts chapter 2, when, when, he, when he was given, and, and then in Acts 4.33, and with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all, as Holy Spirit power flowed through the church Boy, the presence of this grace. It's here. Is it affecting you like it should be? Yeah, I got saved. Oh, no. Oh, no. Salvation. We'll see. Salvation alters the course of your life, but then it places you on a path. And the grace of God guides you along that path. What did John Newton say again in, in Amazing Grace? Was, is grace only there for salvation? And then again, when we step into eternity... Or is it in between as well? John Newton said this, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Through many dangers, toils, and snares I have already come. This grace hath brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home.'" Is it only good for the beginning of our new life in Christ? And then at the very end, when we step into eternity, oh no, we need this grace. At the beginning, at the end, and everywhere in between the presence of this grace. And then we see the purpose. We saw the person, the provision, the presence of this grace. And then he gives us the purpose of this grace. Yes, to save us. But here in verse 12, what does it say? Teaching us. Teaching us. Now, from time to time, my children struggle in school. And uh, I'll I'll say, you know, we need to get get somebody to tutor you in this area to help you. And then one of the things we'll tell them is, listen, just having a tutor doesn't fix the problem you're going to have to let them help you. Christian, you have a tutor, and it's the grace of God. Just because you have access to the tutor doesn't mean you're in good shape. You have to humbly let your tutor help you. The purpose of this grace, teaching us, teaching us. It enables us and it leads. This grace hath uh, brought me safe thus far and grace will lead me home. It wants to teach us, but it wants to teach us the whole way. It's not like when our dad first taught us to ride a bicycle, (laughs) right? Dad takes the back of the, maybe he runs alongside and, and holds the back of the seat, right? Maybe he jogs along and keeps you from falling over. And eventually he pushes off, right? I, I, I don't see little kids riding around the lake now with dad still, you know. No, this is the way you ride a bike. Dad just never lets go. 
ever. It's safer this way. You know, that it's funny with a bicycle. A kid wants to say, Dad, let go. I want to ride. I want to ride detached from you. I, I, but then we think that that's the way it is with uh, salvation. We say, okay, let go. I want to do it by myself now. And it's not that way with salvation. With the tutor, I'm hoping that my children will get to the point where they, they can, okay, I, I'm solid in this area now. I, I'm where I'm supposed to be. Thank you, tutor. I'll take it from here. But this tutor we need for the rest of our life. There's never a time where we say, okay, let go of the seat. I want to do it by myself now. And that's the point. I think some of us are trying to ride this Christian life on our own and we're miserable. Because we've left the tutor behind. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. But before we're saved, we're powerless to say no to living a dirty unholy, ungodly life. And we're not even really that interested in living a clean life. It's only natural to live that dirty life because we're sinners. But then somewhere along the way, the Holy Spirit shows us that there's something better that our Creator wants for us. And then build into us a yearning for better things. And then we have a choice. Will I submit to what God wants for me? Or will I continue with what I'm comfortable with and and I enjoy knowing my Creator wants better things for me? Some, praise the Lord, many in here said, Holy Spirit, I'm I'm going your direction. (laughs) I see that my, my Creator wants a better life for me. He wants to clean me up. He wants to change me from the inside out. Oh, Lord Jesus, you died on the cross in my place. You became my sin. And your blood was spilt. And that's the only thing that can wash sin away. Would you wash my sin away? Would you save me? I want you to be my Lord and Savior. That's wonderful. But once you're saved, you find for the rest of your life down here, you're pulled two directions. The Bible talks about the love of Christ constrains us. And sin used to bind us. Uh, We were powerless before the shackles, but in salvation, God breaks the shackles off. But for the rest of our life, sin wants to bind us again on this side. And grace wants to free us on this side. And say, won't you live this life constrained to the love of Christ? In those bonds... Of love to him. Boy, we, what's sad is sometimes we, we want to use the idea of grace as our excuse to go back to enjoying those bonds of sin. The Bible warns that this would be something we were, we were interested in. Uh, um, there in Jude 1, 3 through 4. Beloved, when I gave all diligence... To write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men, 
crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. Ungodly men. And what are they going after? It says you need to earnestly contend for the faith. There are ungodly men. Beware! Earnestly contend! There's un- And what are these ungodly men after? The truth of the grace of God. Ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Lasciviousness, loose living, loose morals, letting your cravings be your guide. These men that say, oh, the grace of God frees you to do what you want to do. This is a counterfeit grace, contrary to the one we're looking at in this very passage. They might say, you don't need to live a clean life. Grace frees you to to live a life free from the commands of Scripture. Those commands were for the Old Testament when they were under the law. No more thus saith the Lord, I am under grace. Oh, to preach obedience is to be a legalist, they would say. God isn't interested in me obeying him, just in him forgiving me. And again, you're like, that's what they're saying. And we know the Bible does not teach that. But if you phrase it a certain way, we like the sound of that. And then I'm free not to live a clean life. The very life that we're looking at in these verses God isn't interested in me obeying him. He's not that petty. He's just interested in him forgiving me. And someday I'm going to go to heaven and he'll thank me for letting him forgive me. I hope that if you're a believer, I hope that causes the hair to stand up in the back of your neck. That is not right at all. But that is huge in this world around us today. I can live in sin because God loves me where I'm at. The truth is, he does love you where you're at. But if you'll let him have control of where you're at, he's going to place you on that pathway to better things. You might remember Pastor Parrish preached on grace uh, uh, a while ago. I went back and listened to his his message. and It's kind of fun to listen to a Pastor Parrish message because he fits like four sermons into every one. Um, but one of the things he, he, one of the illustrations he used was there in Luke 15 about the prodigal son. And he said the prodigal son, um, the, the, the son had to leave the pig pen and come back to where the father was. The father didn't go to the son and say, let's make you comfortable here in the pig pen and I'll help you blend in with the pigs. Because after all, we don't want them to Notice there's much of a difference. That would make them uncomfortable. And you. But my Bible just said that God wants you to be a peculiar people. He wants us to stand out. And he's worth standing out for. Bible grace. Bible grace has an objective. A purpose, a goal. It teaches us. What does a teacher do? A teacher wants to aim the student at success, don't they? Teachers, don't you want to aim your students at success? 
Grace is a teacher and it seeks to aim its students at success. And what does that look like? Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, verse 12, righteously and godly right now in this present world. Bible grace, it saves us, but then takes us on a journey towards separation and sanctification. Boy, separation, there's some things to, to teaching us to deny these things, right? Separate from ungodliness, there's some things to deny and there's some things to be devoted to by the grace of God in this life. Separation from ungodliness and worldly lust by the grace of God. Quit doing some of those things. Ungodliness, internal separation, holy on the inside. And that's a big deal. Holiness on the inside. Boy, if you're just conforming on the outside and you say, oh boy, this Christianity seems empty and fake, it's because for you it is. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he, the Bible says in Proverbs 23, verse 7. But by God's grace... He can change you from the inside out. So that your outside isn't a disguise, but it matches what's on the inside. And boy, when those are uh, in, in, a, in that blessed conformity, oh, what a blessing. Separating from ungodliness and worldly lusts. Oh, the cravings. Oh, I know this world. It draws our attention. 1 John 2, 15 through 17. The devil, he, uh, he shall be as gods all the way at the beginning. And, and then he tried the same thing on Jesus when he said, throw yourself off the, 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 the temple mount and the angels will catch you and people will ooh and ah. Oh, what we'll go through. The things we'll sacrifice just to get a few people to ooh and ah. Worldly lusts. The desires to be what we have no business being. Do what we have no business doing or having what God doesn't want us to have. If you're living godly and you don't have it, it's because it's not good for you. Because God said no good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. If you're walking uprightly and you don't have it, God says it's not good for you. But I, it doesn't matter what you think. I'm God. I know better. It's not good for you. I love you and I only want what's good for you. Deny some things. We, we step away from some things. We tell ourselves, no. <laughs> we don't like that. There's some denial, but then there's some devotion. We separate, but then we sanctify our lives to some things. A life of soberness, righteousness, and godliness. Sober, living a life of intentionality. Living, what does God want Keeping that in mind while I do everything. That's the sober life. What does God think about what I'm doing? That's the sober life. What does God think about what I'm doing? Living soberly, righteously. Fulfilling my obligations to God and man. A lot of people got up this morning and went out and Knocked doors to pick up people to ride their Sunday school buses. They feel that that's part of their fulfilling the Great Commission. 
They feel like they have an obligation to their fellow man. They feel it's part of that second commandment that flows from the first to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. You don't want to die in a Christless hell. And you don't want your neighbor to either. And that drives some people to live a righteous life. Fulfilling their obligations to God and their fellow man. By God's grace, we should be living that righteous life. And then godliness. Living to do what I was made to do. Revelation 4 reminds us that we were made to bring pleasure to our Creator. Bringing a smile to His face. Godliness. But then again, how do I appropriate this grace? The, 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 the tutor is there. How do I let myself be helped? Good question, right? That's an important question. How do I let myself be helped? Well, James 4, 6, He giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. I think it's sometimes as simple as when you're on that bicycle, let go, I want to do it by myself. Instead, please don't let go. I don't want to do it by myself. Humble prayer that says, I can't live this Christian life by myself. The Christian life, some would say, it's so difficult. And the truth is, the Christian life is impossible by yourself. You cannot live it by yourself. I brought an object lesson. All right, so this is my wife's measuring bowl. And it's full of water. And I have this towel. Now, um, I, I got this nut from Joe Bishop in the bus garage. And so this is, this is you and I. We're all nuts. <laughs> it's just some of us are screwed onto the right bolt. There's a lot of truth to that, huh? So, even as a Christian, a lot of times... Again, Brother Harold Teasdale preached on frustrating the grace of Christ uh, over the Christmas break. A lot of times, as, as Christians, we find ourselves sinking in difficulty day after day. I try to stay on top, and I find myself sunken day after day. And so the next day, I just try harder. So imagine how frustrating that would be. I want you to float. Quit sinking in the water. Stop sinking. Try harder to stop sinking. And I could talk to the nut all day long. So who's the nut? (laughs) I'm going to put you here on top of the water. I need you to float. I need you to float. I'm going to put you there. I need you to stay on top. I wasn't clear. It didn't didn't do what I told it. How frustrating. So let's get you out and, and talk to you again. Get you out and talk to you again. Okay, that's all. Listen, I'm trying to explain something to you. Do you like being sunken in life? Do you like being at the bottom? No. That's my nut voice. (laughs) Well, try harder to float. 
Quit sinking. Just try really hard this time. Try super hard not to sink. Try harder. You're not trying hard enough. And you tell me, what capability does this nut have to stay on top of that water within itself? I want you to listen to the sound again. It doesn't like waft down. It's like boing. Gravity exerts an influence on that nut. It pulls it down super fast and it's at the bottom of the water. And in and of itself, it doesn't matter how hard it tries, there's nothing it can do to keep from sinking. There needs to be something else that comes in that can defy that force of gravity. So I also borrowed this magnet (laughs) from Joe's uh, garage. Telescopes. How cool is this? I could lead singing with it. (laughs) And steal your keys. So gravity is still going to pull down on this, but this magnet has a different force, doesn't it? This magnet can hold on to it and again, you're like, this is so simple. I can put this, the nut on the top of the water, and it doesn't sink. And you're like, hello, that makes sense. And it does. It makes a lot of sense. By itself, it's going to sink. It needs some sort of force that will counteract the force of gravity and keep it from sinking. You and I, were, if you're saved... Sin still pulls on you. And you can't defy the force of the the pull of sin on your own. The grace of God that saved you is the grace that needs to continue enabling you. And the devil, he's on the side saying, Oh, ride the bicycle by yourself. It's way better. He'll be your biggest cheerleader for living for God on your own as long as it's on your own. Because you'll fail and you'll say, forget this Christianity stuff. It's impossible. The humility. But it's wonderful that as long as I say, I'm not going there until I have the grace from on high to keep from sinking. The humility to say, I need you, God. What does the Bible say in in Hebrews 4.16? Let us therefore come. Let us therefore come. Every day, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace. That we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Humble enough to say, Oh, tutor, I'm going to submit to your help. And I'm asking you to help me for the rest of my life. The saved person accesses this grace by humbly going to God and asking for it. A life of dependence. A life of humble prayer. Oh God, I need you. 1 Peter 5.5 Again, Peter learned that lesson, didn't he? The, 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 The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, Peter. Won't you go pray with me? 
And he, he, he didn't, did he? He was ready. He was ready to take on the needs of life on his own. Only he wasn't. He learned how much he needed God, though. 1 Peter 5, 5. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud. So not only when you say, okay, let go of the bike, I want to ride by myself. He doesn't just let go. He runs alongside and pushes you over to some degree. He resists the proud. You say, that doesn't seem nice. He resists the proud. I can do it by myself. He resists the proud. Why do I keep falling? Part of it is because God sees you being proud. He resists the proud. But give it grace to the humble. At the very end, we see the perspective of this grace. Verse 13. Looking for that blessed hope. And the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. And again, this is all one big sentence. Looking for. The sentence began in verse 11. And it's still going on in verse 13 here. Looking for that blessed hope. And the glorious appearing of the, of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Um, when people come over to eat, like companies coming over, um, you say, the house has to be cleaned up. Right? And then you pretend when the company comes in, this, oh, what? It looks like this all the time. <laughs> and you're ooing and aahing. You're like, wow, this is really nice. Can we keep it like this more often? When somebody's coming, there's something that inspires you to get the, get the house cleaned up. And where, you, where you're not normally inspired to clean, that anticipation brings an energy. <laughs> no, this is going to get done. Not if, it's going to. Somehow it's going to get done. Jesus is coming. Would you allow that anticipation to energize you and the grace that he offers to give to clean house now so that when he comes you're ready Jesus could be here at any moment amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me I once was lost but now I'm found was blind but now I see was grace that taught my heart to fear. But then it was also grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Through many dangers, toils, and snares I have already come. This grace hath brought me safe thus far. And grace will lead me home if I'll let it. And then forever in heaven When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. How important is God's grace in our life? We cannot live successfully in it without God's grace.